0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Peter Thalasson, EMEA editor at Reuters Breaking Views. Richard Baldwin is professor of international economics at the Graduate Institute in Geneva and director of the Center for Economic Policy Research in London. He spent most of his career studying international trade. His latest book, however, examines the future of work in a connected world where automation and machine learning replace many of the tasks that can be performed only by humans. It's called the Globotics upheaval and it's packed with fascinating and sometimes alarming details about the ways in which global technology will upend white-collar labour in much the same way that factory robots and global supply chains have hollowed out manufacturing in the West. I caught up with Richard at the World Economic Forum in Davos to talk about the problem, the potential solutions, and why the political backlash that we've seen so far may be just the beginning. Richard Baldwin, welcome to The Exchange. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, uh, Richard, you're an economist who spent much of your career uh, looking at and writing about trade, um, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, uh, your last book, The Great Convergence, was a sort of a detailed study of supply chains. What?
1: made you decide to dive into the world of robots and machine learning? Well, it's an interesting thing. So so the last chapter of my previous book came out in the end of 2016, was about the future of globalization. And in, in that book, I presented a broader perspective of how to think about globalization, and a broader, broader perspective suggested that future globalization would be very different. And when I presented it hundreds of times around the world, I had hundreds of conversations with amazing people, and they all wanted to talk about the future of globalization. So I said, well, that'll be my next book. And as I started reading about the future of globalization, I realized it was digital technology that was going to change globalization. Mm -hmm. But almost everything I read about digital technology was about automation of jobs, not globalization of jobs. And that's what gave me this idea that actually it's the same thing. Globalization and robotics are coming at the same time, driven by the same technology, and displacing the same types of, of workers. And that's why I called it globotics, mm-hmm. which which sort of smashes globalization and robotics together.
0: I see. And, and so you you describe in the book, sort of, the world has been through several ep- episodes of sort of technological change, and also several episodes of of increasing globalization, global trade, and so forth. But if I'm understanding your argument correctly,
1: you're essentially saying these two things are now happening at the same time. Absolutely. So I view there as having been three great transformations, two already done. First one was when we moved from farms to factories. That came in a couple stages. It was triggered by steam power or basically mechanical power, which is, I like to say, it took the horse out of horsepower and put horsepower into manpower. Uh, and that was very transformative, and it, and it caused a, a, a lot of problems. The second one was triggered by computerization, as we used to call it. So in 1973, they invented the computer on the chip. And what that did was create better substitutes for people who work with their hands, but better tools for people who work with their heads. And that led the movement from the factories to the offices. Now in the first wave, back in the 1800s, automation started, say, around 1720 with steam revolution. And the globalization didn't get going until 1820, a century later, but also driven by steam power, by the way. In the uh, the second one, the automation, like robotic arms in factories, that started around 1970. But the real impact didn't start till two decades later, around 1990, when we got the offshoring and outsourcing sort of thing. So there was always the same technology driving automation first, then globalization second. The difference is this time they're coming both at the same time and at the same pace. Now, fundamentally, why is that? It's because it's all about information. It's about data, essentially. And that's electrons and photons, whether you're automating a service job or whether you're globalizing a service job. You're just moving, storing, processing, and transmitting information. And that's happening at the same time. And you, yeah, I think you sort of talk a bit about some of the
0: how how one shift kind of leads to another. So, for example, I mean, you have this example of of people working from home more often, sort of working remotely. And once you've sort of established that kind of way of working, then it's much easier to say, actually,
1: why not have someone work remotely from Mumbai rather than,
0: you know. Exactly.
1: Or, or, yeah. So that's when sometimes people ask me, so, you know, which of these jobs will be globalized first? And I Well, you know, there's studies, is, they're not very good. There's are nowhere near as thorough as we've done on AI. But there's a much easier way. Are you telecommuting to work? And if you are telecommuting to work, your company is arranging your workflow to allow remote workers to come in. And it will occur to your company that they could get your tasks done, or at least those particular tasks done, for one-tenth the price by going on Upwork and finding somebody in some country somewhere to do it. So that's, in some sense, domestic telecommuting, which is also enabled by digital technology, but also corporate changes and collaborative software. That is paving the way to international telecommuting, which is what I think of as the future of globalization. So, th- so this is very much an argument about the future
0: um, and about sort of what could happen, might happen. Um, but... But it's also, also to a certain extent, a story about what has already happened in manufacturing, right? Where you talk about, you talked about the sort of the move to to automation in manufacturing, and also to shifting manufacturing to cheaper parts of the world. Yes. Um, To what extent does that experience give us uh, some sort of insight into what? might happen next when you're dealing with sort of more white-collar
1: work? Right. So let me answer that in two bits. First of all, to respond to your premise that this is about the future. So I feel very confident when I say it. In the book, I don't say might. I say will. And that's because it's going on big time in certain industries already. So web development, for example. Telemigration and web, web development is absolutely standard, and I'm just saying it'll go mainstream. So it's not for tomorrow. It's happening, and it's happening very fast. In terms of the second uh, part of the gist of your question, the way I like to think about it is these things happening in four phases. And this, I think the phases happened in the farm-to-factory and the factory-to-offices. To so basically, you get a technological shock that leads to an economic transformation. And by that, I mean it changes where people work. And it changes the focus of value creation. Before it was land, then it went to capital. And when the from the 70s, it went from financial capital or physical capital to knowledge capital and so that transformation stirs things up that leads to social and economic upheaval people move there's there's troubles that often leads to a backlash and it has both both times and then hopefully it leads to a resolution and there was a big resolution after we industrialized society there was a revolution a resolution in how we how we did things um, it was almost a revolution. But, well, there was several revolutions. Actually, millions of people died. It was yeah. a, not a gentle thing. Communism and fascism you can view as, a, as part of that backlash, um, and, and New Deal capitalism uh, came up after lots of people died uh, in the United States, even starving to death. But in any case, the, the 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 one that came from '73, we had the disruption, economic disruption or transformation we had the social upheaval, which we're now sort of feeling with the Trump and the Brexits, people who feel left behind, they feel bitter. They don't really know what they're against, but they're just angry. And you see things like Yellow Vest or, or um, the five-star movement, there's this backlash, but there's been, no trans- there's been no resolution. None of the things that Trump or Brexit or any of these guys are fixing their problems. They're just providing, like as I say, it's like Treating aspirin, treating brain cancer with aspirin, there has been no solution. So what I'm really worried about is that this new disruption in the service sector of white collar workers will pile onto this powder keg some more matches, and I'm a little worried. Oh, that's why the second second word in my title is upheaval. I'm I'm kind of worried that there will be a bit of an upheaval.
0: So um, uh, back in I think it was 1987, Robert Solo famously said, you know. Uh, you can see the computer age everywhere except the productivity statistics. And, I mean, this, this, as you described, you know, this this process has been going on in manufacturing for a long time, yet unemployment in the U.S., in, 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 in the U.K. is at very, at very low levels. You don't see joblessness no. as a result of this. Um, and yet... A lot of the discussion about this is really in terms of jobs being displaced and millions of people being thrown out of yeah. work. Well, so yeah. how do you reconcile so those lo- two things? Lo-
1: look, at, look at it this way. That in a great American triumph, five million jobs are created every month. And in a great American tragedy, five million jobs are destroyed every month. So this replacement and creation is an extremely dynamic thing. And, of course, it's not sexy to write about a new job being created. It's sexy to write about jobs being destroyed. So I think a lot of it's kind of a sample bias that comes in through the media. It's exciting or it, it catches headlines when a factory closes – But when they hire three more guys on the evening shift at a factory, that's not news. So I think it's a bit of a bias like that. So my basic take on that is that this is displacing jobs very rapidly. And in fact, the business model of the AI geniuses behind this is to displace jobs, not create jobs. Now, there are some jobs being created just because so much information is going around. But the primary thing is to replace office workers or uh, walking service workers or things like that. Um, But... Human creativity is infinite. And when we moved from the farms to the factories, we had no idea about pharmacies or pharmaceuticals or chemicals or cars or electronics, but we did create them. Human creativity did create them. And when we moved from the factories to the offices, we're all doing all sorts of things that we never thought of. So human creativity will create those jobs. What I'm worried about is a mismatch in speed. The job displacement is... Driven at the explosive pace of digital technology, job creation is driven at the leisurely pace of human creativity. So what I am is a little pessimistic in the short run, but very optimistic in the long run. I guess the other thing you could
0: say, though, is that I mean there has been obviously that displacement, and you're right that the sort of the, the, the factory closing gets a lot of headlines because a lot of people involved, and 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 where those people end up maybe doesn't get so much attention. But I guess. The other thing that's happened is that simplifying massively those factory jobs which were you know steady full- time jobs with benefits and you know kind of unions and various other things have been replaced by more casual perhaps lower paid work with fewer benefits and so forth and that that's that there's been this sort of and, and with with, yeah, with, with also with the pressure
1: down. on wages yeah downskilling absolutely so that's uh, it, it there is as you probably know been a complete tra- change in the macroeconomic relationship between unemployment and wage rises they call it the flattening of the Phillips curve and the profession has not totally agreed on why but you can see when everybody's a little afraid of the f- losing their job that reduces people's incentive to, to make demands but let me let me just Uh, uh, tackle that thing of, like, where is the the technology and the productivity? And again, the profession hasn't figured out exactly what happened there. But the main hypothesis is, one, you see the tech in the leading companies. So take Google. They're doing amazing things, but Google employs 200,000 people out of the 150 million people in the American workforce. So one hypothesis is that these pioneer firms are really doing it. And the background, the long tail of smaller firms are not adopting it yet. Another one is that a lot of the technology is leading to things that have zero prices. So it's good for our lives, but we don't measure it. And then the last is what you said, is many of the workers who get displaced, they actually end up with lower jobs. So in in the GDP, basically GDP is the sum of people's incomes. So it may actually, the displaced workers are getting lower salaries than, than what they're being displaced by. So it's, it's uh, it, it, it can, it might, there, all those reasons are one reason the productivity is not booming.
0: So we're here in the snow-capped mountains of Davos. Uh, Minus
1: 17 degrees centigrade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, although we're in
0: a warm room, frankly. Um, but, uh, uh, but a lot of discussion about this and about sort of what might happen. And, and also, my sense is also a lot of discussion about what, governments, countries, companies, et cetera, should do to prepare people for this? I mean, when you think about sort of addressing this challenge that you say will come,
1: um, what's your your recommendation? Right. So I, I think plan A is you help people adjust. And fundamentally, there's absolutely nothing new about this. People will have to change jobs, just like farmers had to go to the factories and the factory workers had to go to the service sectors. A dynamic economy requires people to change jobs. What's slightly different is it's coming very fast and it's affecting the service sector, which up till now has been largely shielded from both automation and globalization. So the demands for changing jobs will become faster. So perhaps we have to do more stuff to help people retrain and move. That's plan A. Plan B is we have to get ready to slow it down if it happens so fast that we're looking at a kind of social revolution. And I was so happy, I mean, not for the world, but I was so happy the yellow vest thing came up just before my book was published. Because this was, people were angry, they weren't really, they weren't against globalization or automation, they were worried about the price of fuel, and, and they call it the purchasing power problem. But they were just angry and it spread like wildfire. Now they've, they've damped it down, but I think that is the sort of explosive social reaction that can happen when tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people are having to change jobs and those are the estimates that are out there I didn't come up with any new estimates but if you read them the pessimistic ones are like hundreds of millions of people in the U- in US and Europe mm-hmm. and the optimistic ones are tens of millions of people so if it's closer to h- hundreds of millions and it happens in the next few years we will see a backlash so governments may have to stand ready to slow it down now a lot of people say it can't it's it's but that's absolutely not true Every government in the world has laws about firing workers. And all they would have to do, employment protection legislation is called, even in the United States, there's rules about firing people. And all they would have to do is dial up the stringency of that, make it harder for corporations to fire workers, and the corporations would then slow down in the adoption of this technology. Now, I don't think anybody wants to resist the technology. The question is, is it coming too fast? Not is it good or bad, of course it's good. It'll make us into a better society. But if it comes too fast, we may have a reaction like we did in the 1920s and 30s, which are incredibly disruptive. So that's plan. It's not even plan B, but plan C or plan D. When things get desperate, we just make it harder to fire workers using existing employment protection legislation. And
0: which is a very contrary, sort of contra, or sort of a contrarian idea, really. But um, I guess the other challenge there is that countries would have to do
1: it together, I don't think so. I mean, of course, there is the international competitive right. sort of thing. But the, the way this technology is coming, it's not developing a killer in, industry. It's not like all of a sudden fifth-generation computers appear in Japan but not the United States. What we're talking about is robotic process automation that take people who used to open up an email where I say, I want to move from this mobile plan to another, so they have to open the email, find out what I said – Change a subscription in one database, go over to the billings, change that, and then check the whole thing's going. Those are the kinds of jobs that are changing. So it's not really a radical shift in competitiveness. And and uh, we didn't have a chance to talk about this, but I think many of the misthinkings of this thing comes from the fact that we are conceiving of it as if it was coming in the manufacturing sector where international competitiveness, head-on-head, car industry, electronic industry, chip industry, there, you know, if Japan gets hindered, it's good for America and and vice versa. Whereas this is in the service sector, much of which is not even traded, at least the service is not traded. So slowing it down, I don't think we'll have as large um, the kind of uh, international competitiveness uh, losses that you might imagine. Um, So I I, I think it's misthinking uh, to to think it's going to affect our competitiveness like it would have in manufacturing.
0: This is a, because you have this, this this great phrase in the book called of shelterism, which shelterism, like is sort of yes. the you know the protectionism, but maybe for this uh, for this particular problem, right? Like, is that basically what you're talking so, about here? No, well, or?
1: no. So this that's the nuclear option. Mm. Employment protection legislation affects the entire economy at the same time, mm-hmm. and it's extremely blunt. And for very good reasons, economists don't like employment protection legislation beyond like, like a, a sort of. Uh, a Den- Denmark model beyond that it's, it's, it's just a bad thing like in, it is in Spain now, but so that's that's the nuclear option. but in the meantime, and we 're already seeing it is people use existing regulation to slow down the implementation. So as I say, that shelterism comes from this. They're not against the technology. They, sh- they just want a little shelter from the storm. Mm-hmm. So for example, Uber was an incredibly disruptive technology, disruptive existing taxi industries. And what the taxi industry did was come together and use the existing regulation. And taxis are extremely regulated. And there's you know police and insurance and all that sort of thing. They use that to slow down the implementation. And r- once in a while, they banned it completely, but very, very frequently, it just slowed down the thing. And so the change is coming, but it, it, it gives time to adjust. And the same thing with Airbnb disrupting hotels uh, or self-drive cars. There's People are using existing regulation to slow down. And if I can just add to that, I mean, it's really a question of who shares the burden of adjustment with the new technology. And uh, you, nobody says tech, new technology, or at least nobody I think is mainstream enough to listen to, says new technology is bad, but when the presumption is that it's always the workers who bear the burden of the adjustment, that's not right. And in, if you take a country in Europe, like a German company or a Japanese company, they wouldn't just say, okay, we can do your job for cheaper, you just thrown out. That's like vandalism in Europe. So there is a question of who has a responsibility, and and sharing the cost of the adjustment, I think, is is fair, and a lot of this regulation is going to be used to do that. So in particular, I think privacy regulations will be dialed up to slow down this kind of information. Maybe it's fake, maybe it's protectionism, um, but it's a very effective sort of thing to to prevent stuff from going online. Health, safety, environment, um, and uh, those kind of regulations, I think, will be used in the first instance but they'll only be effective in the industries where the regulation already exists. So some industries, like say, um, people who work in uh, supermarkets, uh, checking the inventory, there's no regulation at all for them, and they will be replaced by these scanning robots. Um, So there's nothing they could do to slow that down. Um, But if it's in, say, medical records, they could do a lot to slow that down because it's a very, very privacy-based issue. And you could just say that, you know, using robotic process automation in this, the data being put into the cloud is unacceptable. So you could just say, we can't do that. For for example, I'm not saying they should, but they could. So two other ideas that come up in this context,
0: which I just wanted to get your view on quickly. Um, uh, big subjects, but, but just, maybe just a quick view. Uh, two things people say. One is they say, well, um, people are going to be thrown out of work, so therefore... Uh, the state is going to have to give them some sort of safety net basic income uh, to basically protect them from being completely destitute. <clears throat> the other thing which sort of related to that comes up as saying if these new technologies are going to be so incredibly valuable, um, then the state or taxpayers should share in
1: that value somehow through taxation or ownership or something like that. Right. You, I mean, well, let me go through that. So mm-hmm. universal basic income, I view that as an interesting answer to the wrong question so it how do you get purchasing power into the hands of people who will buy the stuff that the robots make that's the question now the hard part of that question is the tax revenue to do it ubi is about spending money we don't have and it's talking about a lot of money So actually, I can think of other ways which I think would be better to spend it, but the real question is, how do we gather that money? Mm -hmm. We we need like 10 15% of GDP more to do this kind of redistribution. I'm not 100% sure we need to do it, but if we do, we should be asking where are we going to get the tax revenue. So the second issue is taxing this knowledge creation. So as you will have, and I I mentioned in the book, um, there has been a shift in value creation from capital to knowledge. Just like there was in the 19th century between land to capital, now it's from capital to knowledge. And if you look at the top 10 most valuable companies in the world, they're just knowledge clusters. I think there's one oil company in there, but the others they're, they're just clusters of knowledge that somehow or another are associated with a particular com- company. And knowledge is very hard to tax, so I do think we have to worry about taxing it some, some somehow or another. And but b- partly there's. People who have knowledge stuck in their head, and that knowledge is way more valuable than it was just 10 years ago. And there's some companies who have clusters of knowledge, and that's way more valuable. So, probably we will have to find a way of taxing knowledge somehow or another more, more to, in order to, well, I mean, just simply to replace capital income, for example.
0: Great. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for coming My in. Pleasure. It's really interesting. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Freddie Joyner. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you found this recording. You can also check us out at breakingviews.com, Reuters.com,
1: and on Twitter at breakingviews.